Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Good morning once again, and here we go. Ready to pick up where we left off? Not quite. Some of you still need to be seated and get your Bibles out. Uh, We are headed uh, back to Matthew chapter 12 uh, to pick up where we left off, because that's what we do, right? We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and you're going to get everything in context, and you'll see that context is really important uh, even this morning. So, Father God, we pray that your word from heaven, God-breathed power to transform us, to change us. God, it is so possible to have a life-changing encounter today because you're here, and with God, all things are possible. So, Lord, turn our doubting into trusting and our despairing into rejoicing and our fearfulness into uh, bold confidence and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I was talking to a young man about the gospel, and he was very resistant and very closed, and he had a heart of stone. And uh, I mentioned to him in sharing the gospel that Jesus made these claims, but he backed them up with powerful miracles. And he said, now, okay, now we're talking. Now, if I saw a miracle right here and now, then I would believe. And uh, he said, for example, if God right now just split the sidewalk, put a little crack in it right now, then I would give my life to him. And I had to tell him, it doesn't work that way, my friend. We don't give God the orders. He actually gives them to us because he's God and we're not. And so... Yes, indeed. And so besides that, I told him, uh, even if you saw a miracle, you would not believe. That's just the way it is because you've seen miracles. There are miraculous hints all around you. The miracle of nature, the miracle of how we all got here. All of these miracles that you yourself were once for 90 minutes, one cell. And now you're a 100 trillion celled human being Uh, so far, the miracles God has allowed you to see aren't doing much good. And by the way, Jesus revealed uh, truth in Luke chapter 16. He let us know that even if somebody rose from the dead, right before somebody's eyes, that if the word of God can't convert your soul, uh, even somebody rising from the dead would fail to do so, would fall short. So yeah, 
lots of people in Jesus' day saw some jaw-dropping miracles, did they not? They were up close and personal. They were arm's length away from God in a human body doing what only God could do. Blind people were seeing, lame legs were leaping, mute tongues were singing, dead people were talking at their own funerals. You know, so (laughs) when those things happened, and what was their reaction? Some of them with hard hearts. How do we get rid of this guy? The miracles were irrelevant to them. So here in Matthew 12, the Pharisees really are going to take this same tack with Jesus, this very disingenuous request, show us a miraculous sign on our terms. And then we'll consider believing. And Jesus has some choice words for these lost, lost souls. He did so to rattle their cages, to wake their sin-sick souls up so that they can come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. He doesn't delight even when his enemies will perish. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sin and be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. And so with that, Jesus will say, oh, speaking of signs, you want a sign? Oh, you're going to get a sign, all right, but it's not the sign you're expecting. Verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the Bible, or the law, the Old Testament, said to him, Teacher, we would like to see a miraculous sign from you. Oh, so polite. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it. Oh, except the sign of the prophet Jonah, whom they really loved, by the way. Verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, a term out of Daniel chapter 7 for Messiah, the Son of Man, or Christ himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we'll park there. His response goes uh, much further, but we will make it two more verses in addition to this, our text for consideration this morning. And so here, what do we have here? A new conversation has started with these guys, but it's the same old story with the same old rebellious hearts, with the same old excuses, hostility, lies, and nonsense, right? And Jesus responds really with words that can burn a hole through a mountain of granite. But it turns out that their hearts are much harder than that. As God says, hearts of stone will become flesh and blood when the new covenant comes and the Holy Spirit changes us from a heart of stone to a heart that has flesh and blood and can receive the Spirit. And so uh, the conversation will go on. As I said, we'll make it down to, uh, there's a couple things. First, the sign of Jonah, and then he'll say, speaking of Jonah, he talks about the Ninevites, and then another Gentile, uh, the Queen of Ethiopia, of all Sundays, uh, to have her appear in the text. God is a multitasker, what can I say? 
you know? And so he says, there's a lot of things that are going to put you guys in a bad light, and it's coming to a theater near you. And so let's begin here with your verse 38. Sounds ever so polite, doesn't it? Teacher, a very honorable title. We wish, we, we would like to see a sign, a miraculous sign. Please and thank you are uh, implied there with their tone. And so uh, one writer said, it's more than a little disconcerting, isn't it? How pleasant an evil heart can make itself sound. So we might call these men courteous killers. Yes, indeed. One pastor added this, some of the worst damage to the church has come through those who would appear humble and devoted, but who divide many with their gossip and critical spirits. And so so Mark chapter 8 lets us know that it's not a sincere, honest request. Look, we really want to believe you, but just you're making these huge claims. Please just show us some proof. Well, they've had proof for quite a while. Uh, it is a test. Uh, the word means to tempt him. That's what Mark adds so that we know yet here comes another way to slander and trap the Lord. And so you one might be asking them, what about the blind and mute man who was possessed with the devil that Jesus just cast out a paragraph before in their presence? And so what about that? And their response would be, that doesn't count. You guys could set that up. You, you've had months to set this dude in position. How do we even know he was blind and couldn't talk? Uh, yeah, right, we're not buying it. What we want you to do is a miracle on our demand when you don't have time to set it all up with your smoke screen and your mirrors. We'll tell you what we want you to do, and you'll do it, and then we'll consider putting our faith in you. Like, for example, see that olive tree over there? We'd like you to split it down the middle right now. Ten seconds. Ten, nine, eight. We're waiting. What's the matter? You don't have the power? You see the attitude? I do. I'm having fun with it myself. <laughs> but, uh, light the meadow on fire right now. Call down fire. Elijah did it. Oh, you don't have the, uh, as much power as Elijah? Oh, too bad. You can't do that, you know. Or how about make 12 fish jump out of the Sea of Galilee, one for every tribe of Israel. See, it's biblical. Chop, chop, get busy. Like-minded, foul-spirited Herod on Good Friday morning was all pumped to see Jesus. And why? He wanted to see a miracle. So he was wanting the Son of God to turn his ministry into a carnival sideshow. The dancing pony, up on your hind legs, Messiah, turn around. Show us your power, and then we'll believe. Yeah, just like those who wagged their heads. Satan inspired as Jesus died on that cross with them saying, oh, come on down. Use your magic powers, your, your messianic powers to come off the cross, and then we'll believe in you. 
Liars. They're just liars. So he says, look, chop, chop, get busy, Jesus, they say. You want our well-sought-after endorsement? Well, then get busy and do some simple tricks, and we'll be happy to endorse you. And Jesus responds, not going to happen. <laughs> oh, but something else is going to happen. <laughs> so Jesus' insightful response First, he reveals they're evil because they sound, you know, they have, I'm sorry, they don't have British accents, but I always picture them with nice, you know, refined British English. You know, teacher, we would like to see a sign from you, whatever. And uh, Jesus says, oh, no, no, insidious motives, wicked hearts, not innocent requests. And the funny thing about this is is that God uh, doesn't have any problem Uh, giving an honest heart who loves him, who's in a desperate situation and needing some help, a sign. Oh, he does it cover to cover. He gives signs. He's not afraid to give signs, you know. I mean, ask Gideon. Gideon got fleeced in a good way, didn't he? He got fleeced. You know, uh, you know it, it didn't matter that the angel of the Lord was talking to him and uh, his sacrifice he offered went up in flames and he still wants signs and, and, and he's not done with the fleece. He's still asking for signs and God's still giving him the signs. So it's not that God says, oh, well, I can never do that. It's the, it's the heart that's asking, right? I mean, I... Isaac's servant who went off to look for a wife for him. Right, he said, oh, there's so many beautiful women around. You know what, God, Holy Spirit, just make it be the one uh, who says, hey, you want some water? I'll serve you and I'll serve the camels too. And then I'll know it's her. And God says, oh, that's a good idea. Boom, right? And so he gave the sign, and Rachel was a happy woman. And then in 2 Kings 20, I know I'm digressing, but that's what I do. It's kind of a hobby. It's a hobby of mine. Hezekiah on his deathbed, he's like, Isaiah says, you're going to be better. God heard you, saw your, your big tears. He's going to give you 15 more years. How will I know? <laughs> you know? And he says, well, pick the sign. Isaiah says, you want the shadow to go 10 steps forward, or do you want it to go 10 steps backwards? And Hezekiah says, well, 10 steps forward would be easy. (laughs) Would it? (laughs) Uh, Easier than 10 steps backwards, Isaiah says, done. And God says, yeah, that's fine. The guy needs it. I'm going to give it to him. He's one of mine. Oh, but these guys? Oh, here are the two adjectives. Evil (laughs) and adulterous. Evil Evil masquerading as religious representatives of the Lord. Their true intentions were diabolical. They want to kill Jesus. They're not getting any sign. My word. And then he says, adulterous. He says, you know what, you guys? Hank Williams wrote a song about you guys. (laughs) You're cheating heart. He says, adulterous, spiritual adultery. You guys had a relationship with me. You made vows and I made vows. And Israel's called uh, the Jews husband. The husband. I am your maker. I am your husband, Isaiah says. And you cheat on me. One of the Ten Commandments, the second commandment, don't bow down to other stuff because I'm jealous. 
Second commandment. I'm jealous. What is he jealous of? Your heart. He sees you running after and adoring and bowing before other things. He feels like a, a, a jilted lover. A jilted lover. As I've often said, how would your wife, gentlemen, like it if you said, you know, honey, I just want to let you know that I've been 99% faithful to you. <laughs> Beautiful. See you in divorce court. So once he exposes their wicked, wicked hearts, you know, and his answer is extensive to those, and it should be very disconcerting to them. He answers them, well, no and yes. No sign given you. I'm not turning my ministry into a magic show. Uh, but yes, oh, you will be witnessing a sign from your well-loved prophet of Jonah. And he elaborates there in verse 40. Now, it's not Jonah's entire life that the Lord is alluding to that has some kind of symbolic prophetic picture of him. It really started at chapter 2 and verse 10 that reads, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So, you know, the Bible does not say God works in mysterious ways, but he does. Oh, he does. From a belly of a great fish for three days, and then it vomits him up on dry land, resurrects him from the dead, as it were. See if you can see in Jonah's prayer and description in Jonah chapter 2, which I'll show you now, how Jonah's time in the whale's belly can, might <laughs> have some kind of symbolic uh, connection to the resurrection then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He says, I call to you from the land of the dead. There it is. O Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. There it is. I sank down. There it is. To the heart of the sea, to the bottom. There it is. The mighty waters engulfed me, a term that is often used uh, to describe death. I was buried, there it is again, beneath, there it is again, your wild and stormy waves. I sank, there it is again, beneath the waves, another allusion to death, and the waters closed in over me, there it is again, seaweed wrapping around his head. I sank down, there it is again, to the very bottom again of the mountains. I was imprisoned, another word used for death, in the earth whose gates, another term for death, Locked shut forever, but you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Do you see how Jesus could say, uh, there's something similar about Jonah that predicted my life for three days and how Jonah's life ended with the resurrection in a very creative way, and his as well. And so, yes. And then at the end of that prayer, he says, okay, I'll give up. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then up from the grave, he arose, as it were. And so thank you. Uh, we can go back to the text there. So three days, he says, very long days for Jonah. You know, the Jews are called stiff-necked people by their maker, God. Stiff-necked means you can't turn them very easily. 
They're going to go their own way without being pulled this way or that way. And so what does it say about a guy who it takes him three days inside the belly of that great fish to repent? Three days. Oh, it could have been 15 minutes. Of course, it wouldn't have worked with what Jesus had in mind. But God used his three-day stubbornness uh, to align with the resurrection after three days. And so, yeah, no. stick-to-itiveness is a virtue. But when your flesh wants to use it in spiritual matters, it becomes a vice. And so... What's up with the three days and the three nights? It's a Hebrew idiom. It would, if you pressed it, it would mean Jesus rises on the fourth day. He says, clearly, I will rise on the third day. And so a Hebrew idiom, just it really means to experience the fullness of the thing. Three days and three nights. Like we say, oh, he bothered me 24-7. You don't mean every single second of the 24-hour period. You mean he was relentless to the, to the nth degree. That's what's going on here. And here's the pregnant point here. Um, he's saying the only sign for unbelieving, steadfastly set against uh, hearts steadfastly set against the Lord will be this sign, the sign of your own demise. Wow. That I win and you lose, that'll be your sign. It'll be a little late. It'll be too late, but you're going to get your sign. And you will say to yourself when you're standing before me, whoops, you were the one. There's your sign. Sir, is this that Jesus has triumphed and you have been defeated. That's what he's telling them. You're going to get a sign. Just too late. It'll be too late for you to do anything about it. You know, it's the sign begins with the resurrection that they hear about of their epic fail, right? The guard, the guards are going to bring them back the news to the Sanhedrin, to the seventy elders. There, the guards that they posted at the tomb, make sure his disciples don't come and steal his body, lest the next phase of this be worse than the initial beginnings, right? And so this is what they got there. I think I have that in Matthew. Some of the guards go back to them to report the sign of Jonah to the chief priests, everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, all of them know now, all of them know all of those courteous killers know that they've been defeated because the whale has let up its captive and Jonah, the real Jonah, the true and greater Jonah, was standing there. So they devised a plan. They didn't repent. They didn't go, whoops, oh, whoops, now we've got a sign. There's our sign. No, they ordered the soldiers to lie. They gave them bribe money and said, here's what you're going to say. His disciples came during the night, and while we were sleeping, they stole him away. And so, and if you're going to get into any trouble, no worries. We got money for them too, right? And so that's what's going on here. It's unbelievable. Your sign is I win and you lose. And then ultimately that will be even worse on the day of judgment.
when they die and they stand before God. They stand before Christ and the one they condemned will be condemning them. You ask for a sign. So on your way out to eternal loss, you can think to yourself, oh yeah, wow, he really was who he claimed to be. That will be your sign. And it's the only sign some hearts will get if they die in their sins. And so God was wanting better things for them. Oh, patient right up to the end. One of them came right up to the end and said, hey, I can't get this, but I know you're doing miracles. Explain it to me. And he said, Nicodemus, listen to me. So you'll be seeing Nicodemus. You'll be seeing Joseph of Arimathea. These are guys who turned. And so we finish up with uh, some more bad news for the Pharisees are going to make them look really bad if they die in their sins. So starting at verse 41, the men of Nineveh, speaking of Jonah, right? So here's what else is going to make you guys look really stupid and really guilty. The men of Nineveh, those wicked, wicked terrorists, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. These Gentile terrorists, they repented. They're in the kingdom of God. At the preaching of who? Jonah. Some dude who didn't even want to preach to them. And now one greater than Jonah's here and another Gentile I'm thinking of, the queen of Sheba, 1 Kings chapter 10. And the queen of what most people believe Ethiopia will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now guess what? Someone more important and grander by far is standing right here. And so let's take a look at this. So it's not just the sign of Jonah that's going to be working against you fellas. It's really on resurrection day. There's two amazing testimonies. There's way more than two. But let me just tell you about two groups of people who will be standing on my side of the judgment seat looking at you that will be in essence condemning you, really, not literally, but pointing their finger, like uh, looking at you like, what's up with you guys? If we got saved, how much more should have you gotten saved? That's the idea here. So speaking of Jonah, what about those wicked uh, men of Nineveh? Who were they? The Ninevites were the Middle Eastern ISIS of that day. They were known for nobody in all of human history was as cruel and fierce and demonic as these guys. I will spare you the illustrations of what they would do once they got in and captured the city. It is horrifying. And that is why it took Jonah three days with seaweed wrapped, it, wrapped around his head before he said, okay, okay, I'll go, but I, I'm not happy about it. I don't want them to get saved. I wish I were dead if they do get saved. And you relent from destroying and incinerating every last one of them I'll pout like a three-year-old. And he did. 
But what's driving that is the character of the Assyrians, the Ninevites. Uh, so here's where Nineveh is in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. And so interesting that Mosul, Iraq, was being held. It's been liberated since then by these guys, ISIS, who really are... Next slide, please. That's Nineveh. That's modern-day Nineveh. And those are really some of the descendants of the Ninevites. Some things don't change. Really, technically, the Assyrians trace uh, the Turks, the Turkish people, are the true Assyrians, the descendants of the Assyrians. But I wouldn't uh, doubt that there's some, some there in Iraq as well. And so thank you, Spencer. We can go back to 41 and 42 there. And so, um, yes, that, that, that will show us why Jonah was so reluctant. But eventually, even though Jonah didn't want to go and, and had, you know, like two words, you know, turn or burn, you know, he wasn't going to give them more than they needed, right? Because he hated them. He didn't want them to get saved, but they got saved anyway, and that's Jesus' point. Is that here's a prophet, a mere man, who doesn't even like them, who hates them and hopes they don't get saved. He uttered the fewest words possible with a cold, wicked heart, no compassion, no patience, no kindness, and they got saved. No Old Testament. No Bible knowledge. These guys were PhDs in Bible. Oh, my word. And you can see how them standing on this side of the throne is pointing a bony finger of accusation at them. What about you Bible experts? Does it say when pagan terrorists who just heard a few words from a stubborn old curmudgeon prophet, what does it say about you guys? It says something terrible that if there are layers of hell, you guys just hit the bottom floor on the button going down. So that's what he's saying there on Judgment Day. And so here's the picture. He says, when those wicked Gentile pagan terrorists are glorified standing with me, Right? They repented from secondhand information. But here you have not a curmudgeon prophet giving you secondhand information. You have the God Himself in a human body speaking first person to you. Wow, how much more accountable are you? And so, no excuses really. Men of far less advantage and far less opportunity with much greater hindrances have turned to God. And those are the kinds of people who will condemn so many people who had greater advantage and yet remained uh, hard-hearted. And so he says someone is greater than Jonah. He's been trying to say that. You know, I started thinking about unbelievers who would perish in 2020, let's say some American dies without Christ, 
in a place where there's a church on every corner, in the age of information, where Bibles outnumber its citizens, and that the great white throne standing on the righteous side will be formerly savage natives who were uneducated and converted in the 1800s by American and British missionaries to the deepest, darkest jungles, which happened. So you have glorified natives who couldn't read and write, who didn't know anything about the Bible, standing on the righteous side. And then you have the American who has 2,000 years of church history and a church on every corner, as I was saying. Their fingers are extended at them saying, if we got saved, how much more severely does it speak of your own guilt and uh, deserving of punishment? And so, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, did you even know how serious these words were when Jesus said, oh, the sign of Jonah and Nineveh will rise up and they'll, they'll speak against you guys. You had, you know, on first read through, you don't realize what Jesus is really saying is breathtaking, right? One writer said, and for every I was born this way excuse, there shall be on that great day I was born this way, but then I was born again. For every last sin, there will be an example on the other side of a repented, redeemed life, thereby pulling the rug out from every mouth on that great day. No one will ever be able to say, but I could never overcome this. And he'll go, excuse me, John, step forward, grab the mic, you know, tell this guy what it was like. It was hard. I had to deny myself every day. After all, I was born that way, or so it seemed to me. That's all I ever knew. That's all I ever felt. But then something happened, and the Holy Spirit came in and made me new inside. And the angel Gabriel says, keep talking, keep talking. (laughs) So verse 42 now. Jesus continues with speaking about surprise testimonies that are going to make them look bad. And he says, speaking of Gentiles who didn't know anything about Adam or Eve or creation or Noah or Abraham, Isaac or Jacob, she knew nothing. And somehow in the middle of Africa, she gets saved. Oh, she didn't have the privilege like you men of having God come to your doorstep. You could hear the gospel from God's mouth, from your back patios, and hear in deep jungles of unrefined ancient Africa comes a woman who makes at her own expense a trip all the way in to hear the words you're now rejecting in disregard. Wow. She's going to point a finger and say, he was in your neighborhood. And I came 1,500 miles on a donkey from Africa to hear him. 
oh, I didn't come to hear him. I came to hear a mere man, Solomon, a lesser than Christ. And how about you guys? First Kings chapter 10 tells the story when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon, a mere man, and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with some hard questions. Why are we here? How did I get here? Why don't I do the things I want to do? I end up doing the very things I hate. Verse 2, arriving at Jerusalem 1,500 miles later with a very great caravan because she cared with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. Yeah, she came with an offering. What do you guys have for him? You know what your offering is? A piece of wood and some nails and some floggings for the Son of God. Large quantities of gold and precious stones. And she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing's too difficult for the guy who wrote Proverbs. Next verse. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom Solomon had that came from the Lord, the palace he built, the food on his table, the setting, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, and the pomp and circumstances, cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made, the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and wisdom is true, but I didn't believe these things. I came and saw with my own eyes it was worth the trip. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And hey, I'm a believer now. And so you will see her as we stand on the righteous side. And that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, don't you know that we judge the world too? He gives us administrative duties. And all of us will be saying, what about our lives? What does that say about Yours and so, yeah. Here's the map. I'll show you from Ethiopia. Yeah. So <laughs> the picture will be Jesus comes down from heaven as he claimed he came down from heaven and 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 took his place right down their streets, waving in their windows. Yoo-hoo, God calling there, you know, in a human body. And this gal with no Old Testament, no scholarly degrees, no, no witnessing any miracles, nothing, zero. She gets on a horse, a mule, or a donkey, or rides in the wagon, and she goes all the way through Africa. Yikes. Not it just crazy. 3,000 years ago, Africa. So, back to the text and closing up now. Her life story is an indictment, is it not? And he says, someone greater than Solomon's here. And so, like he's been trying to do, he's been trying to tell them, someone greater than King David and the temple's here. 
verse 6. Someone greater than the Sabbath is here, verse 8. Someone greater than Jonah, verse 41. Someone's greater than Solomon is here, verse 42. How many hints do you guys need, really? How many hints do you guys need? And the answer for every unbeliever who perishes will be just one more. Just one more. And then they die. And then they get their sign. So, yeah, no excuses. This is how it's going to go. And it did get me thinking about Americans who like to destroy and rewrite our history that has Judeo-Christian foundations and morals and topple statues and make this some kind of godless socialist Marxist, communist, God-hating country. On Judgment Day, should they not repent, they're going to be condemned by those who are from those kinds of countries, who lived in fear and under tyrannical rulers, who heard the gospel through a static, filled radio somewhere where they had to stand and hold it a certain way. But those words got into their ears and down into their hearts and they were born again and would do anything to make it to a land where they printed on their money in God do we trust. Who sing songs in their national anthems about this same God of the Bible that inscribed the Bible and the Ten Commandments on the Supreme Court doors. Oh, to be in a country that is founded to Judeo-Christian laws and philosophies. They would give anything to live there. And those who actually grew up with that kind of hate and malice and anger and who were thrown into an Ethiopian cell because of their faith will stand on this side and say, what in the world were you guys thinking? Because we had what you were striving for and God set us free. And on that day... Barring any last-minute repentance, they will get a sign that what they were doing was wrong. The latest thing is now tear down statues of Jesus. That's a bad move. It really is. It's not in self-interest because the statue of Jesus that comes down will be the person they stand before and answer for that very crime. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It always has some kind of relevance for this world in which we live. It's living and alive and active, God. So we pray that these truths, sobering as they are, God would encourage our hearts. I feel very much affirmed by your spirit, God, as we all do that we're on the side of right, not because of anything righteous we've done, but because of your mercy. You breathed on us and thereby 
but the grace of God go I and us. Uh, we could make some pretty decent Pharisees and Sadducees ourselves, but God, who is rich in mercy, thought otherwise as we turned from our sins and trusted in Christ. And so, God, have mercy on our country. Have mercy on those who are holding out for a sign. May they not get the ultimate sign, but may they come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.